0: Thank you for listening to Teaching Artistry with Courtney J Body. This is episode 49, Act 2, Mauricio Silgado, Reframe Around Repair, recorded December 9, 2021.
1: let's start it up now
2: hey hey ta podians welcome to teaching rsu podcast this podcast is researched, recorded and produced on the unceded lands water and air stewarded by the canarsie and muncie lenape peoples in what is colonially known as brooklyn new york thanks so much for listening and thanks for being a part of our global community Invite your peeps, colleagues, and friends to join our community and subscribe on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify. And follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Head over to org to access episodes, great guest bios, uh, video series, merch, and more. So this podcast is, I, I don't know if you noticed, but this podcast is a space where I like to explore big questions um and right now the big question that i'm asking of myself is what kind of leader do i want to be and i'm i'm feeling very blessed actually cuz i get to be in conversation with guests who perhaps are having similar curiosities um as i am and or having these kinds of discussions in their own circles um Here's, here's where I am right now, is I want to be a leader that listens deeply and acts, uh, that invites and steps back, one that supports and works in community. And that's kind of where I am right now. <laughs> uh, I want to be an advancer. I want to be an advocate. I want to be working in sol- solidarity. Um, I want to be able to leverage my positional power, however it makes sense. Um, so I don't have anything that's really revelatory here, but I wanted to just share that we all are capable of impacting change within our own spheres of influence. And I want to be intentional about how I engage, how I engage here, how I engage in the field, how I engage in my job, and I really appreciate the guests and you, our beloved audience, for coming along on my journey. So in this second sit down with Mauricio, it's about a month later, and we discuss university or higher ed institutions uh, evolving responses to racial justice and oppressive practices, which then leads us to a conversation about retaliation and a punitive justice system and ultimately about repair. Here is episode 49 act two, Mauricio Salgado reframe around repair. S- something that I saw recently and I'm not, I'm really terrible with names and like, I see something and I'm like, I get the concept. And so then I forget all the other stuff, but I was watching something on PBS. I want to say, and it was, uh, it was in and around Thanksgiving. So it was focused on indigenous, um, indigenous, uh, activism and, conversations specifically around land and um, land back. And, um, and yet what I was hearing from some of the, the correspondents or the different folks that they the host was talking to were saying things like, this is a, this is, we are, coll- we are a collective that um, the treaties that were signed have not been holistically, um upheld and in order to uphold them we need to be partners we need to be co-collaborators co-conspirators when thinking about or making decisions about this land our land and I had never heard I had never heard that before it it it, it, it maybe because of you know some you know white supremacist culture constructs that it was you know either or like either it's it's this american quote unquote democratic government that's making choices or you give the land back and then somebody else is handling the land right but the idea is like but what i was hearing in this program was we we should be working together to make decisions that are are going to support economic growth, economic justice, um, health and climate um, that is so thinking much more holistically in a way that I just don't believe the way that our government is set up currently where it leans towards business being the partner or the, you know, the bidder um, versus um, community-based steward-based thinking and movements and action. I don't have a question, but that's, that's, I'm saying that.
3: It's interesting. I'm trying to parse through these distinctions that you're making just now, the distinction between a collective, a community saying we need to work together. And the we of this that I understand you're bringing up here are both the it, the tribal nation, right? The indigenous peoples who are appealing for respect of the treaty as well mm-hmm. as um uh us government uh and that new systems have to be created where we're thinking together where the we is across these two verses and and so that's that in comparison to um an idea that uh land maybe it's around land you're speaking of here is thought of as um as an asset That is a consumable that is tradable and that business is responsible it's extractable right Mm -hmm. Uh, and so. it's not a I mean to go back to a word you use it's not a steward mentality right it's not a this isn't mine i'm on this i'm in this place and i'm caring for this place but it's not mine Mm -hmm. versus a a product oriented mindset right a consumer oriented where it is mine it's mine and i can extract from it and do with it and dispose of it as i please yeah is that that the distinction you're making here these two that's what i'm thinking yeah Yeah, i I think about um ruby sales i never forget ruby sales who is um an elder of the movement of the civil rights movement snake activist. um who, when I was in the seminary, came through and and really framed uh, uh, an epoch of disposability. That we are living through an epoch of disposability, mm-hmm. where all things are disposable. Are you know in other ways? Are in other words, are are means to the end. That is seen through a scarcity mentality. For the purpose of Uh, amassing right amassing power and all the all that's necessary in order to amass power and so all things are disposable all organisms all constructs all social whatever is going to get in the way of amassing power Uh, and and then and saying if we can see that if we can name it for what it is what is the alternative she's inviting us to think about How do we move beyond the epic of disposability. Uh, And this is where I think of, you know, in that space, at least at Union Theological Seminary, which has been the home of so many liberative theologies, liberational theologies that that's what this that that's where this word liberation is so important. I think as an instigation as a provocation Do you know like what is it to be liber? and then it's like what is it to be liberated from to me it's what is it to be liberated from being disposable uh, and that gets me thinking about uh, a society constructed on on punitive justice on you did something wrong you're I'm going to punish you and my punishment is to throw you away for life you're done you're out it's what you know the ways in which we you know in all in all not just in 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 our prison system but in workplaces in our neighborhoods you're like the three strikes notion right Right. you get that many chances no tolerance that's right suspensions yeah Mm -hmm. and i decided you're done you're done and i just I, i mean it's just not real (laughs) That's that's so that's such a myth, because even if let's say worst case scenario, right, I were to someone were to kill me dispose of me fully body. My memory will haunt the my history will haunt as is true today histories haunt for as much as empires have tried to quash and dispel and erase. Uh, I don't know these histories are haunting they continue to haunt people and folks are lifting stories back up right they are animating the spirits to haunt into action so i appreciate i think connecting back to what you were saying models that are not uh, you know now it's in my hands and you're done it's a we, it's we ness right we together and that may, that just makes sense to me because when i think about when i think about academia and all of my colleagues who are scared to lose their jobs because they're not aligned with the current conversation, um, they can't make the move to grow with the conversation because they're scared of being disposed. And I, and legally, they can't get disposed for certain things, right? As I've learned, you you can't, in at least in most academic institutions, you can't get disposed of for microaggressions, let's say. I've been doing a lot of research into this. Mm. And microaggressions, based on, a, at least as I understand it, and by all means, listeners, if you know better, dispel what I'm about to say. Mm. But, you know, there there's legal precedent. In Michigan, a school tried to make, you know, try to um, hold somebody accountable for some microaggressions. I don't know whether or not they tried to fire them. I think it was along those lines. And that person mm-hmm. brought a loss- lawsuit against the school and the judge sided with that person, right? That, that microaggressions do not inherently lead to a hostile working environment, at least under legal ease, under right? Under the legal understanding mm-hmm. of discrimination and harassment. So places like where we work don't have an answer to microaggressions it doesn't fit into our you know non-discrimination anti-harassment policy so bringing it back you got faculty who are microaggressing people they're not going to get fired because the institution isn't going to dispose of them because there's no legal precedent to do that but they're mortified that something's going to happen to them because they're scared of getting canceled or they're scared of their, their yeah. being shamed out of the institution all this fear of being punitive and that's fear that they carry themselves right because we are we've internalized disposability. If I'm not right, if I'm not good, I'm disposable. Uh, And so then we can't grow. Like then I, then that person can't be like, but wait, I can actually get better at something instead of just being afraid to have a conversation with another person.
2: I think there's also something off the record, you and I were talking about um this this semester and and some feedback that I was getting from my students um uh that was quite positive and un and frankly unexpected um but one of the things that I think is um something I've learned I've learned a lot this semester actually but one of the things that I've learned is to slow down uh. and to be more mindful about what's coming out of my mouth frankly uh. Not because I'm scared, but because i actually i am wanting to grow I am wanting to be better um and I listened to how i had a I, you know in terms of age, I had a wide range range I had a wide you know range of of experience in the work that we were studying, and I was listening to how how care- uh, like almost careful. These young people—they're younger than me, most of them. So I'll say that. Um, but how these folks were—you know—choosing their words, and so it's like, oh, let me, let me, let me do some deep listening. Not because I now need to adopt everything that they do and say, but more so that I can understand how to communicate with them, so that it I can be heard by them um and and continue to create more and more space for them to help me understand what it is that they're seeking in terms of their own growth, uh, so that i I'm not making a assumptions and b missteps that could potentially do harm uh-huh. that I can't foresee, so it's not out of fear it's out of wanting to help the students for their in their own growth journey. Sure which, you know, feeds my growth journey as well. And, you know, as somebody who's an adjunct and not a full-time professor or on a tenure track or wanting to get on some other line or, you know, like the the academic world is one that I um, don't, I don't think I've, I've, uh, I've heard some things and I don't like any of it. (laughs) Um, And I I just live in my own little corner over here um, as part of that larger uh, landscape. And, and
3: sometimes I'm just like, oof, I don't know. I don't know about that. Uh, (laughs) Ooh, but like, what have you heard? I'm so curious now. Like, let's get into that. What is it? Oh, Well, uh, again, like I don't, I don't, I don't, I'm not
2: deeply like in all the, all the things. Right. But the, um, I know that there was like a, a whole moment of like a, like a teaching, teaching assistant, teacher assistant for a professor. And, um, he eventually brought like a harassment case to, to her. And there, there there's like all these emails and messages that they had and text messages that were part of the investigation that were like really inappropriate <laughs> like between colleagues that was like oh lover and oh like it was off the wall and i don't remember what school it was if it was in the if it was in an english department or something but it was part of NYU uh-huh. and i believe that that professor still has a job uh-huh. um and there's been other things like yeah again like professors harassing students um making it inappropriate advances and you know the power is not in the students hands even when it's a collective and somebody you know is quote unquote put into retirement but like has a lot of power because they're on a tenure track and can demand a whole lot of things you know and the things are you know like the harm that is done for the young people or the students regardless of their age is not actually addressed
1: yeah
2: or even acknowledged in some cases yeah yeah and i i'm pretty sure that happens in a lot of different universities across the nation yeah um and it's it's i think it's just not right but i yeah, i don't no. have enough you know like personally, I don't have enough, A, experience in that department, or B, like, time to, like, do anything about that, you know, or be involved in any way.
3: Yeah, Courtney, you're naming something that I've been deep in this semester, I think, as I acknowledged earlier, uh, this semester, I I took on the task of managing the Office of Diversity Initiatives in Undergraduate Drama, and what that basically means we we have four key initiatives that i'm trying to encourage one is this archive of voices this is a basically a way of engaging the library that centers plays and material that students don't typically get access to Mm -hmm. in this white western canon that is taught Mm -hmm. right so There's, and that's really a kind of a dramaturgical lens, like a dramaturgical approach. How do we ask questions? What are we asking questions of? How do we approach material, et cetera? Then there is um, this student leadership development, right? There are so many students right now who, I mean, gosh, I say it as if it's a now thing, historically. And there's so many beautiful songs that point to students and who they are and what they stand for and how they seek to lead and to change. And ideally a really good academic institution encourages that, right? Like dissent, ask questions, be critical, think divergently. So we're trying to support that. We've got 18 different student groups um, and really just trying to um, help them do their work, whatever the work is that they wanna do. Yeah. And sometimes that gets tough because we get ahead of ourselves and we have big ideas for what we want them to do. And then we put pressure on these student groups to show up in certain ways. And, And they don't get to just be students instead they have to be also advocates and all these other things that sometimes students. Take on, then there is community discussions and that's just us trying to make space for people to talk to one another, because going back to what you're talking about here and to finalize there is intervention strategies, which is uh, oftentimes what edi work. um, Is about it's it's really about conflict management, there are crises there's crises someone says something, someone insults somebody, someone is presumed to have harassed or discriminated against somebody, and people don't know what to do in the immediate while the institution pursues, if it's capable of even pursuing legal mat- like a legal investigation, an actual investigation, and then repercussions. Um, and so much of it, one is, how do we create space to be able to talk about these things? Because the precedent is your naming, or the 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 kind of word on the street about the culture of these institutions is that either nothing happens or if something's going to happen you're gonna it's going to ruin your reputation it's going to ruin your job it's going to ruin your ability to do anything right and that's this disposability thing right it's either you get it right or you're out or uh you're in and therefore you can never be out and you're protected um and that just doesn't support growth in any way and what i have found out as i've talked to hr as i've talked to the office of equal opportunity as i've tried to get into the weeds with like what triggers investigation what yeah. triggers um, a deeper examination is is as you're naming it's actually pretty vague and oftentimes it doesn't the things that happen like what i think or what you might think is harassment or discrimination doesn't necessarily align with legal precedent and that's not just the institution that's the institution basing it off of the cases right the legal cases that have been taken up across the country mm-hmm. and the lawyers who have been able to make an argument for why certain behavior should or should not exist in the workplace or in the classroom um, there's a lot of gray in that so for me it's about how do we encourage a culture that that responds to that versus depending on the institution to figure it out for us it shouldn't be students hoping that these anti-discrimination, anti-harassment policies are going to meet what they think harassment and discrimination is, Uh, it should be, A, let's learn, let's learn together what we actually mean by this stuff, and then we can differentiate between how the conversation around these subjects are evolving, because I think it's evolving. I think today, discrimination and harassment means something else to what it meant 10 years ago. I don't know what it was like for you when you were in school, but I know when I was in undergrad 20-some years ago. I mean I had I had a teacher kiss me I had teachers proposing to do things with me, but I was in art school I was in theater school, and I was led to believe like that's just the culture of theater school like that's cool do you know or it's on me for putting myself in the position where someone would perceive my behavior as flirtatious and therefore proposition me.
2: Right. Um yeah, when I was in undergrad, actually I'm thinking about both grad and un- undergrad, but um I I feel situational <laughs> about it because um I definitely had uh in, in undergrad there was that the the person who ran the department was um quite intimidating. And had a lot of power to cast you to, you know, like if, if, if he loved you, you were the darling and you got, you know, all the praise and all the love, but cross him and you didn't know when that was going to be, you're out. And it, and it was, it was like blackballed and it was, um, uh, sometimes it felt arbitrary and it felt like, uh, well, you just, didn't, you didn't want to be the person who was on the blackball list, right? So when that happened to somebody, there were other, there were other things that they could do within the theater department, but it, it wasn't in the larger scheme of, um, you know, what he, what he was designing or what he was creating. And you didn't, if as a bystander, it was hard to be an upstander. And of course I didn't have that language then, but like, it, then it happened to me. <laughs> and it, for me, I just said, yeah, fuck it. <laughs> like, I'm not going to, I don't, I don't actually need this because I was a senior at that point. Um, there, the expectation was, so this is what happened. Um, I'll give it a very, I'll give it briefly, but like I did the, the whole enchilada. I was a part of a sorority. I did theater. I was the president of the, um, the Alpha Psi Omega chapter and in my senior year um uh i think we we did romeo and juliet and that was the big like we always had a shakespeare big shakespeare production in the fall and then either a musical or some other production in the in the spring and then there were other like little things that happened in the, it was a small theater department but um the expectation was that i was going to i was going to audition um and that i would likely play the nurse that was, like, he expected me to be the, you know, laughing, you know, you know. Um, so there was a lot of typecasting <laughs> that happened anyway. Um, but that summer, I had stayed at school that summer and um, was in, oh, I'm forgetting the name of it, but it was a, it was a one-act play, and I had, a, a like, a pretty meaty role. And so he was really, like, he had really come to, like, love and care and, like, was, like, nurturing me, right? And I was already slated to... Um, direct the um so that that chapter um would direct a play every year um and so I was slated to direct it and I I chose it so I had all those pieces in place but then I also for my sorority became the pledge mistress (laughs) and for like most roles in a sorority they didn't have huge conflicts with my theater schedule but this one was I had to design an entire semester of like pledging a new class of young women. So I couldn't, I couldn't be a part of this play. I couldn't, I couldn't do both. And so I knew that I knew that that already had happened. I went through the whole summer and then I wrote a letter to him letting him know, you know, I'm, I, cause he'd been talking about it all, the whole summer. And I was like, I just want you to know that, uh, you know, I'm not going to be able to, I'm excited to see the play. I can't wait to like um, direct my piece and then, you know, excited for, for the, the whole year. This is my senior year. Yay. And, um, I, so I sent that letter, I came back to school a little early and walked past cause like where I was staying on campus was near his house. And I walked past his house and his, at that point he was with somebody who worked in the costume department and he was like, just avoid him. He's very mad. And I was like, okay. And then, and then that was it. Like he didn't talk to me. He wouldn't do, you know, and, and everybody was sort of told not to to help me in any particular way, right. and I just thought, "Wow, that's that's fucked up." Yeah. But instead of me thinking, well, instead of me trying to change it, I just decided, "What am I? How am I going to do this? How am I going to live and continue on my path despite that?" And I, for right or wrong, it was like, "Wow, this is." This isn't right. This isn't the kind of this isn't the kind of world I want to be a part of. (laughs) Um, But I don't know how to change this part, so I'm gonna figure out like what, like after having been in multiple productions led by him and watched him make people cry and call people names and make that people feel like shit about themselves, (laughs) I thought, okay, as a director, I'm thinking how do I get people to want to like make this better (laughs) and Uh. work together? So we would, uh, you know, it was, I I was much more about building ensemble. I ended up um, doing the female version of uh, uh, the odd couple Uh. and it was diverse casting, (laughs) and it was the it was really effing funny. Not only that, this is another like just side story that uh somebody who had the checkbook for that uh, uh that chapter had been pilfering money, so the the yeah, so so the the com- the company or the this fraternity didn't have any money and we were about to produce a play. So I had to convince I had to convince the theater department to loan us money so that we could produce this play and that we would pay them back and that I would do everything my power to actually like make some money so that we could have a new bank account (laughs) because we were in the rears and we needed money for for further projects. And we sold out It ran for two weekends. We sold out and we made, we made the money back and I think we tripled, we tripled our profits and I did all of that. Because nobody would help me. (laughs) Right. So I ended up doing that. Like I use a stock set and I use, you know, we, we costumed it ourselves. Like I, I just, I didn't spend any money basically on this play so that we could make all the money back. And um, I, think it, I think it galled him that we were so successful. Like we got a write-up and a great review in the, in the local paper. That's just one little tiny story of like, but that, like, imagine if it had gone further where it went into harassment and other kinds, of, I wasn't harassed, but like,
3: it could have gone to that and it could have gotten to, and it could have also been racial. I, th- I think it seems to me like you, as you were naming, right? In that moment, you're experiencing the harm. Mm-hmm. You ask the question, What can I do? You know, and that's if you have that question to ask, because so many don't have that question, right? Don't have the for whatever it is. Don't feel like that's in their 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 vocabulary or their capacity. What can I do? And each generation, it seems to me, it has developed its righteous response to what can I do for how I'm going to respond to this moment. And then there is the well, I can't do anything, but I'm going to do this. I'm going to do the divergent thing that's going to lead to a whole other thing, right? Mm-hmm. And you know, thankfully, we've learned from both of those approaches. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think both of those approaches, I hope, have helped evolve our you know institutional understandings of harassment and discrimination. Uh, so to say that I'm sure your institution, as mine, had. Harassment and discrimination policies at the time. Mm -hmm. Um, Even though things were happening that could be perceived that we might have perceived as harassment or discrimination, but that the Mm -hmm. institution didn't. Or that the institution didn't have the wherewithal to Center them so that we felt like we could claim those in the time being. Um, And hopefully that's evolved and that we're in a better place now, but I always feel like students are still pushing it right like. Mm -hmm. But wait we're not actually looking at this and that other thing is happening and to what you're naming here about blackballing as you called it. That's a real present conversation mm-hmm. in an interesting way this notion of retaliation right, mm-hmm. how do people get. How do people get retaliated against uh, I recently had a conversation with a casting director who is guest faculty and. They were deeply concerned that because of something that we down done in a class a misunderstanding mm-hmm. a misperceiving a misnaming right all the ways in which faculty mess up they step in it they're ignorant or whatever it may be leads to a difficult moment leads to someone being harmed offended and then that student took to twitter and tweeted about this faculty member and now this faculty member is scared they're scared for their reputation as they said to me yeah. uh, because they could ruin my brand this is my, my name and in the industry it's my name and i said you know in that moment They also said to me, I just don't know that I can, to some some extent of saying, I don't know that I can speak well for this student that I will ever be able to vouch for this student in the industry. And I thought to myself, yikes, like I get it. And I hear that there is a real, like there is something to be considered. And I don't know what the analysis is or what the research shows about whether or not student tweets ruin professionals in the industry. Do you know, we can maybe go down that. But to say for someone with that much positional power say i'm never going to be able to i'm not going to speak well about the student i had to be like hey can we pause for a second can we think about this we were students once too right we were sloppy like we were a mess how do we give a student the room to be a student and not all of a sudden assume that they can't adapt and grow as human beings mm-hmm. and that this moment doesn't mean that that's who they're going to be five ten years from now like do you recognize The kind of power that you wield over this young person. Uh, And this is where, again, the gray, the gray of our institutions, that they don't have solid retaliation policies. And this is true across the board. This isn't just in the arts. This is true in all areas. I mean, I think that's why students unionize, right? Because they're out here like, how do I protect myself from faculty people who are If I dissent, the academy says, students are welcome to dissent. They're encouraged to ask difficult questions to push back to quote unquote. But where are the lines? And when they cross them and faculty, especially because so many of our faculties are quote unquote working professionals, right? Who are gonna give us jobs, right? That's why we go to these schools because we want jobs. But then what room do we have to to grow, to be like on the edge of our vulnerability? I don't know. Uh, that's an area that's, I'm trying to push our faculty to think more concertedly about instead of saying, well, NYU has a policy or, you know, throw their hands up and I don't know.
2: I, yeah, I'm on, un, uh, unsatisfied with the, we well, but we're being compliant, but yeah. what if we were not just compliant, but actually like leaned in to, Changing or, or allowing, like, what if we just believed that this this harm happened, as opposed to, you know, closing ranks and circling wagons. I'm not actually talking. I'm not thinking about anything specific. I'm just sort of saying, like, what if we just, <laughs> like, what if we just believed it, right? What What then, as opposed to deny, 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 deflect, deflect, deflect ignore (laughs) retaliate
3: what is the i guess to the follow-up for me in that when i think about that what have we just believed and i and i reach back into my like you know my internalized cultural norms of our justice system this notion of innocent until proven guilty Mm
1: -hmm.
3: like how does that sit with what have we just believed Mm -hmm. what do you think Because I guess what's coming up for me is, again, if we're wrapped up in a punitive system.
2: Yeah.
3: Right. Where it's. I'm not going to believe you. You got to prove it, Mm. because if I believe you, I'm going to get disposed of. I'm going to get checked out the window. Mm. I'm done, so I will do whatever it takes to justify, even if that means that I will convince myself that I didn't do that thing.
2: I have this hashtag. I mean, I it's a, something I truly believe, but I make it a hashtag when I'm on the socials. That's like, believe black women. There's so much gaslighting. Like the, the truth telling that I find many black women in my life and, and in the world um, and the immediacy of disbelieving, discounting. Um, so that's where my brain... Tends to go to, whereas you're so so keenly saying, you know, in our society, <laughs> you have to prove guilt. Yeah. Otherwise, this person is innocent, regardless of whether they did it or not. That's right. You need evidence. I believe you, and yeah. now we need evidence. Yeah. Right. Right. Yes, you need evidence. You need to. There needs to be. You know clarity that this happened but I'm gonna start by saying I believe you yeah. or I'm gonna act not um I'm not gonna gaslight I'm not gonna deflect I'm not gonna deny it's you've put it here now we're gonna we're gonna yeah. learn together what happened yeah um yeah if if it's a brown incident uh versus you know just I've had moments, this is something slightly different though, uh, not about like an incident or, you know, that sort of heightened, but like something that I can now I can't remember if we were talking about it before we started recording or not, if on the record, off the record, but um, y- you were uh, talking about, you know, what does EDI work um, tend to be around is around conflict resolution. And, I'm cu- I'm curious about not the conflict. <laughs> I am, I mean I I want that, but and and I am curious about um, when there is something that is heightened and acute, how to how to be able to address it, dissipate it without with having those tools to be able to deal with it in the moment, as opposed to it needing to be reported or and then investigate it. But actually, how do we? When do we actually build the muscles to be able to deal with something in the moment in a way that is, um, yeah, gonna repair the harm, or, or, be, or help us get on the road to repairing the harm more quickly than I think we are capable of in the moment, in this moment?
3: Mm. Yeah, so good, because I think a couple of things are coming up for me as you say this. Hey, I want to go back to what you said before about wh- how where you turn to when it comes to I believe you, because I, I immediately connect right. Uh, innocent until proven guilty is completely like privileges everybody who understands the legal system yeah. and understands all the games of the legal system, right. So, uh, hence, they understand how to not do the evidence on the surface in a way that is perceivable, do you know, or yeah. how to hide the behavior so uh, appreciate that. Um, this piece here about, uh, 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 about oh, I lost it. You were just talking, I had me, you were talking about. Uh, I I, t- I, had two,
2: I had two points I, because I do uh, mand it, but like the first point was about this believing and accepting that what you're telling me actually happened as opposed to yeah. denying it right off yes, the bat. Yes, got top it, top it. it I'm back right? Okay, go ahead. The second, this,
3: this to the second piece around repair. Mm -hmm. I don't think our punitive system understands repair. I think our our punitive system uh, does nothing to rehabilitate, right? So the the notion of repair, you're naming it, is just not uh, us. It's not within our social construct is with Mm -hmm. it's within our cultural construct. Like In so far that our peoples have endured, our cultures have endured, there are practices for repair. It's the only way they can survive because everything endures trauma at some point and the trauma is repaired in some form or another. So we have these inherited practices of repair. Mm -hmm. Socially, the dominant construct doesn't acknowledge repair as in that in that way right in that valuable way right it's, it doesn't exist within our legal system so to at least that that's perceivable to me right i'm sure some lawyer would read this and be like oh, actually you're wrong but i think dominantly what we're talking about here that's not what folks recognize and i think that if we understood repair we might understand a how to do it and b what the moment meant because i also i feel like folks get trapped in i want to be able to respond in the moment and in the moment means Immediately, mm-hmm. but moments are long, oh. and each one of us are we have different qualities and characteristics. I know I'm somebody that I'm best to respond to something, uh, you know, time wise, several days later, but it's still the moment. I'm still in the moment, right? I'm still yeah. back to the incident.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Mm-hmm. Um, so our notions of the moment might be might shift how much time we give ourselves, and this goes back to what you were saying once upon a time about time where we, you know, this idea that let's make more time in our spaces to slow down. Mm -hmm. Let's make it so that instead of, you know, a a course that has 10 beats, it has three. And we're going to take the time to work through it, to be messy with it, to repair where harm might happen, To Mm -hmm. because I think that's what repair requires is time. And maybe then we're not, we're not, producing um on the you know in the industrial timeline which is i've got to produce a new product immediately every so often to you know to build a linear ladder but maybe we can embrace other kinds of metaphors i'm i'm i think i might i'm through i'm treading into different spaces
2: no i love and, it though <laughs> I'm I'm fo- I'm following you and I'm also like you're sort of you're echoing things that I'm I don't always know when I say them that potentially they could be prescient um in other spaces not in this room <laughs> necessarily but just like I'm saying that too like I'm trying to slow down time so on a on a something that is re- realistically happening that I think is starting to become a metaphor in my life and, and connected to what you've just talked about, about how, you know, in order to, the moment actually is not the immediate, the, the, that second, but actually, you know, it could be a few days of I've been thinking about it and I'd like to like, let's talk more about what happened and, but talking about it, not from a place of defense, Uh. um, Uh, so uh, I'll quickly tell you that like where I've moved to, I have this huge bay window and I see the sunrise when I wake up and I have so much daylight and where I used to live was like the shades were down. I didn't have as much light, even though I I also had uh, Southern exposure, but, um, I have found that the days, are so, they feel so much longer and I feel like I'm able to accomplish so much more because I have just all this light and even when it's dark I still have this wide space in front of me because there's literally nothing in front of me besides twinkly lights uh in southern Brooklyn and I that's what I'm talking about is like I want to I want to reframe I want to find ways to reframe so that we can slow down, so we can examine and have time to to talk, to process, to feel. Um, and I want to build that as an actual muscle. That's a new thought, brand new thought. But yeah,
3: yeah, it's beautiful. I, I mean, I that connects me to all of the people who inspire who have inspired me in this moment in the pandemic moment the ongoing pandemic moment Mm -hmm. to reframe what being in space together means and looks like Mm -hmm. what the outcomes are and i think of dr nisha Sajnani, who acknowledges that maybe the learning the dominant learning of this moment is how is just how to be with one another in care with and through care that all the learning where we think we should be all the bullet points that we should be targeting that when history looks back on this moment it will look back to the ways that we held each other uh through a, a period of, of tragic m- tragedy and mourning and crises mm. forget like the defined the bullet points it's like who who endured and how did they endure what were those strategies and how are we as teachers Focusing on that, like when all is said and done, I don't wanna make another space where my student feels alone from, and yet again, isolated in a period of grand isolation. Yeah. And repair could be it. Right now we're you know, as people are pushing reparation, you know, as a concept, mm-hmm. uh, larger social con- concept i get excited to think about a reframe around repair what it is to center repair as a fundamental practice and a skill that we all should develop what does it take to repair and i think one of those you know going back to the the moment of like let's say you and i are in the room together and we observe something happen if we acknowledge that we're all in this together and that repair is necessary when harm is done it's not necessarily incumbent on me to fix the harm because the harm isn't just about me. The harm is about all of us. And so you can do the work of stepping in without me feeling like you've crossed into my personal territory, because harm was also done to you when harm was done to me. And in fact, the person who did the harm is also harmed by perpetuating the harm um, versus the what I think the punitive, which leads to the, it's individual, it's you, and I can ostracize you, and we fixed it. Uh, but the harm is still there. I wonder, I wonder about that.
2: I like that. I'm going to ponder upon that for a while. Cause I'm, 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 I'm feeling like I am manifesting a lot of that for myself and wondering how do I, how do I try and broaden or extend that into other collectives or communities that I work with. Um, Mauricio. Oh man. I could talk to you for like, decades. And I hope I do.
3: <laughs> Mutual. Courtney, me too. Me too. What a gift.
2: Yeah. Um, well, uh, we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna pause it there until next time. Yeah. <laughs>
3: until the next one, thank you.
2: Thank you again for spending some time with me.
3: Yeah, my pleasure.
0: Thank you for listening to Episode 49, Act 2 of Teaching Artistry with Courtney J. Body, Mauricio Salgado, Reframe Around Repair. Join us next time for a conversation with Precious Blake. This podcast is edited and produced by Ben Weber. Christopher Totten is the director of creative content. John o. Waldman wrote and performed the theme song. Tim Palin designed the logo. Visit us at www.teachingartistry.org and head to the pod shop at the top of the page for merch. Twitter us at TA underscore artistry. The gram at Artistry with CJB. And now on YouTube. Check out the Teaching Artistry with Courtney J. Body channel and watch We Can't Go Back. Like our page on Facebook. Listen to us on SoundCloud and Spotify, subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts, and be sure to share this podcast with all the teaching artists in your life.
1: Let's start it up now. Let's start it up now.